Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of Inglorious Trexperts, you'll love Disco Nights, the new Star Trek Discovery podcast with host Chase Masterson. New episodes debut every Thursday night wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Doctorman. And, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. Hi, I'm Chris, and this is Anna with MCI. She recently started a great friends and family calling circle. A group of friends that wanted to get back in touch. I believe I actually said we should resume communicating. So Anna called, and I signed up. And Chris called me. I thought if anybody belongs in friends and family, it's us. I used to get tired of staring at those faces. Now I kind of miss them. I joined to save the 20% because when I call him, I end up talking to an answering machine, which is more interesting than he is. I'm usually home. I'm just selective about the calls I take. <laughs> when they were forming the circle they obviously saved the best for last oh that's why she called me next who is that how did you get in here there seems to be some error i believe you were in the wrong circle colin starts saving an extra 20 percent calls to your own friends and family circle every week thousands of people join the millions who already have mci friends and family if you'd like to be one of them give us a ring after all shouldn't your least expensive calls be to the people you care about and call all the time so that was an MCI commercial from the 1990s, the Friends and Family Calling Plan. It goes to show you how much Star Trek has been a part of popular culture. Well, we're still all one big happy fleet. Well, aren't we? Is that true? I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, I we got a great episode for you today. We're going to be uh, talking to David A. Goodman, who is one of my favorite people in the entire world. And uh, he has had such a great, it's a low bar, I guess. auspicious history <laughs> with 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 Star Trek. Um, not only uh, did he write the phenomenal uh, Futurama uh, homage, um, where no fan has gone before, but uh, he also wrote these fantastic uh, books for Titan Books: the autobiography of James T. Kirk, uh, the autobiography of uh, Jean Luc Picard. And he has the upcoming autobiography of I can't pronounce his first name, but Spock. And um, so those you also, are great. You also left out. Uh, I wrote for Star Trek Enterprise. Well, I was getting to that. Oh, I mean, you have such a. I was going to say. In addition, uh, David is, was also a writer producer on Star Trek Enterprise, and is currently the uh, executive after um, running Family Guy. Is now the executive producer of um, Orville, which comes back to Fox this December. We're very excited. And I, I, I'm looking forward to the autobiography of Neelix. <laughs> uh, well, look forward to that. Then. You have a lot to look forward to. I want to talk just for a second before we get on the subject how important both of you guys were to me as a fan. I'm going to just talk about this specifically one. When, before I had my chance to work with, you know, write Star Trek or write, I would read Mark's uh, articles in Cinefantastique, and that's like if you can get a hold of those Cinefantastiques, they're the best uh, for somebody interested in how television works. Your your writing on Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and Voyager is like a, a real how to of making television. But then then this magazine came out that <laughs> that sci-fi I think universe, you, huh? sci-fi universe, and. And you, I don't know if you remember when we met. We met on the strike line in, when we, when we were on strike in two thousand eight. The writers were on strike in Hollywood, and I recognized Mark. And I and I and I because I had this magazine, which I, I did the hundred best Star Trek. This is this is an amazing magazine. If you're a Star Trek fan, uh, because again, Mark's writing and talking about like what the best Treks are and why, and just and not just episodes, but what were the best animated, and then what were the best comics and books, and it's it's a great. But I, that was where we. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, I do. I do remember that. And clearly, you've been rifling through my garage. <laughs> no, because that's is, the only place I think you can find these things. This is my copy, uh, <laughs> which I kept on my shelf and I, I perused. And Darren, it, it, you know, I remember in the in the dawn of the internet that reading about uh, this guy Darren Doctorman who was doing new effects and editing them into classic star trek and i had to see it that was me yeah. and i had this ip <laughs> ibm thinkpad and dial up internet and and i downloaded 
like two seconds of one of your things because that's nice. as much as I could get. It took like an hour. Uh, but it was just so exciting to see, oh, my God, new effects. And again, before <laughs> CBS figured out it might be profitable, but I just I, – I have this connection to you guys as a fan. Well, that's and awesome. it's always such a great well, thing I was gonna to say, all, all hang out aside, with you guys. It's, it's, it's really it's, – it's so appreciated. And, uh, you know, obviously it goes both ways because, you know, I'm a huge fan of yours. And I, I, I was uh, – one of the great uh, Altman homages of all time where, uh, was you um, – uh, calling Edith Keeler's sleazy landlord uh, uh, Altman in um, your book. So you're also trying to live know, down you to know, that. You're in the you're in the Jean Luc Picard one. I too. did not know that. Oh, you better read it then. I better. It's, you're like, it's a different character. <laughs> Am I in the Neelix one as well? I'm his hairdresser. <laughs> yeah, that's great. As long as I'm not his fluffer, that's great. Um, so um, Jean Luc doesn't need a fluffer. I, I was, I, I, you know, I would say it's sort of funny that you brought that sci-fi universe out of uh, storage because. Um, in preparing for the podcast today, I actually was rifling through my garage <laughs> and I came across it. And I was just reading that yesterday. I haven't looked at it in probably twenty years, uh-huh. uh, and <laughs> it's a re- it was a really great. It's a great issue of a magazine. It's a great as a issue. Trend. We it's did great. The hundred best Star Treks of all time, and then all those lists. And I was actually looking for ideas for the podcast by looking at stuff we'd done twenty years ago in it the magazine. Sure, it sure was fun while it lasted, because that's that's when I first met you. You were just starting with the magazine. I was happy, go lucky. Yeah, young man. <laughs> you know, fresh, free, free days. Uh, but you know, as with everything, the light that burns twice as bright burns half as long. And <laughs> so. <laughs> Oh my God! What is this? A roach? Yes. I, come on. What, what was that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the two two lights burning half time. Yes. Well, look. The the, the 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 what I wanted to talk about today is uh, today's episode. What's up, Ruck? The comedy of Trek, and and talk about um, not only how Star Trek has sort of made an indelible impression on pop culture, whether it's Saturday Night Live, Get a Life, right. or. Um, uh, the uh, you know con revolving restaurant or you know we you know the MCI commercial is one of many many parodies. The Ben Stiller show, of course, the Ben yeah. Stiller show. I mean, there's so many great examples, and I think nobody you know Crimson Tide, you know, uh, <laughs> hilarious but, movie. Well, <laughs> you know, there's that famous scene that Quentin Tarantino did the uncredited rewrite of, in which. Um, uh, you know, Denzel uh, says, "You watch Star Trek." Yeah, and Trek, we need more know, power. We need more power. I'm, he needs more war power. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, arguably, there's probably been no better parody of uh, of of uh, Star Trek than you know the, the brilliant episode you did of um, Futurama. Thanks for 100 Quatlus. Who did the Captain Maroon on SETI Alpha Five? Uh the you know it's funny when I started on Futurama, uh, the the staff is is filled with Star Trek fans, and uh, like you there were Star Trek before they did that episode there were a lot of Star Trek references I believe the uh, national anthem of Zoidberg's planet is dun 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 you know there's like great Star Trek references in there, and. And so I joined the staff, and they were throwing around these ideas for doing the Star Trek uh, parody. The the one idea that they had was giant Kirk and Spock having a fight over New York like monsters. Mm-hmm. I was I don't even know where that idea came from. But then they decided to wanted to do a more homage like we did. And within I was there two weeks, and it wasn't even my turn to write a script. But David Cohen said. Oh, clearly Goodman's got to write David this David X. Cohen, not to be confused with <laughs> he, the rabbi right. David Cohen. That's right. Or the pitcher. He, <laughs> he, point, he pointed a bony finger in your direction and said, <laughs> David, you're up. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was pretty much it. And they, they, that, that I was the big, clearly the biggest Star Trek fan, in a, in a first among equals, I guess. Right. But, uh, uh, obviously, and man, that was an all-star writing staff you were on, too. So It was. It was a, I mean, that, it's an incredible... And that Futurama was an incredible experience, getting to work there and, and then getting to write that episode. Was, well, was and, so and to have the entire cast, with the exception of Jimmy Dewan. Right. Scotty said no. My <laughs> original title of the script was We Got Everybody But Scotty. <laughs> and uh, and, and uh, DeForest was already, had already passed away. But, uh, yeah, everybody showed up, and uh, it was very, you know, Shatner had notes. We had to have a, a phone call with Shatner to convince him to do it. And it's so funny because what he wanted was, is this some way this can be about me and Leonard, my friendship with Leonard? 
So my answer to that was that scene that's in there. That's this completely comic scene where Leonard is saying Leonard is Leonard is saying goodbye to Kirk and the rest who are going off, and Leonard doesn't want to give up his you know security deposit on his apartment, and it's like this. But that was enough for Shatner, and then we recorded them together. And right. I have the recording of the record sessions oh, that's awesome. of the two of them ad libbing, and it was it was super fun. Which is why they have better chemistry in that than the animated series, where they weren't <laughs> in the same room together, except except one, except episode. the one episode, the right? Episode. Which was a press basically was a for a, mar- a marketing gimmick that they could take pictures of them all together right. recording. Uh-huh. Um, but after that, it was just yeah. they would go to a recording studio and do, <laughs> their, <laughs> do their lines. But right. uh, you know. It's interesting because I never thought of this before, but is that the last time the entire living cast was together doing Star Trek? I mean, obviously, like you said, D had passed, but um, you know, pretty much that was the last time the original cast did anything together. I, I guess. I mean, that was. I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess yeah. it was. That's pre- I, I mean, that, that's. I mean, they weren't together. Only Leonard Nimoy and Shatner were together. Everybody else recorded separately. It's the last time they did Star Trek. Together. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, it's. it's I mean, it, the cloud is recreating, right. you know, his own fan fiction story, right. <laughs> which is just such a neat conceit. Um, that was. I remember that was. Uh, we were trying to figure out uh, how to uh, what what the story would be. We had this idea of this fan capturing them but we didn't quite couldn't quite figure it out and i said well what if it's an energy creature and dan weber who's a mutual friend obviously was on the staff he said that's it (laughs) 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 Uh, which you know and and there was a lot of discussion on futurama because the the show was written by scientists i mean you had real scientists on that staff and there was a lot of discussion about well what 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 is this energy creature and and again david cohen and ken keeler were like it's just it, we're going to just make the buy. It's the Star Trek energy creature. We're not going to make it real <laughs> and let's go. Uh, but it was it was fun. There Sagan was a discussion. Say. There was a discussion of well, what what is this energy creature and what and sometimes an energy creature is just an energy creature. You don't need to explain him. Well, just you know, show him. And what I love about it because as much as it pokes fun at. It, it, it is a loving homage, homage right. to Trek. The same way with Free Enterprise, while we're sort of, you know, as, as the um, the Brits say, taking the Mickey out of something, <laughs> it, it's also right. a love letter. Right. And you know, that's what's so good. It walks. It, it. I mean, obviously, it's making fun of obsessed Star Trek fans, right. but it this or aliens. But it, it, it's 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 such a loving, fun, insightful. Um, I think that you know when you talk about comedy in Star Trek, and one of the reasons that it it um, there have been so many iterations of of parodies of Star Trek um, and homages and all these things, you know that what gets lost in the discussion about Star Trek and, and Star Trek fans is obviously there are fans like us, and there's a lot of fans like us, but Star Trek was a show for the masses. Star Trek was enormously popular. When it was on NBC, reading those books, um, Cushman's new bo- books that on it, the ratings, it was not a ratings failure. A lot of people were watching it, but even back in those days, even if it wasn't a rating success, still it was only three networks. So right. still a lot of people yeah. watched it. Yeah. And then in reruns, it wasn't Star Trek fans wa- just watching it in reruns and syndication. Everybody was watching it right. around the world. And Star Trek is this show for the masses so that you can do a parody that it's not just going to be a joke for Star Trek fans. It's going to be a joke. Oh, yeah, I know Star Trek. I get that joke. And uh, I think that always gets lost because we as fans are kind of the, out in front. We're kind of loud about our fandom. Yeah. But the fact is Star Trek, millions of, of non-fans or non or more casual fans. Right. That would be a better way. They to still say. have enough of an understanding of it to yeah. get the joke. And they right. and they enjoyed the show because the show was such a well-done show. I mean, right. I, I, that, that's not me talking as just a fan. That's like talking as a television producer. If you look at the other shows that were made at the time, they were so lazy and mm-hmm. so forgettable. Like they're unwatchable because they're lazy and 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 forgettable. Star Trek, whatever its kitsch value now because it was made in the 60s, is still a really carefully written, carefully produced, well-acted thing. That And that's one of the other reasons it survives. 
Right, we're not watching my mother the car right. these days. Yeah, you know, we're 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 still obsessed with Star well, Trek. That Futurama episode was really good. <laughs> <laughs> the so let me ask you. I mean, obviously, comedy was a big part of the original Star Trek, more so than any of the subsequent series. Right. Um, you had episodes like Trouble with Tribbles and I Mud, and uh, especially something like Piece of the Action. And then you have a whole movie, Star Trek Four, which is you know really leans into comedy. Why which do you? Darren doesn't like. I hear. Well, it's not that I don't like it. It's, it's just not my top six Star Trek all right, movies. All right. <laughs> it's not his, his top 15 Star Trek movies, but he uh, he doesn't not like it. Well, the, the interesting thing is that most of the, you know, what we think of as comedic episodes of the original series were done during the second season when Roddenberry was away. Yes, that's and true. And he didn't like comedy. And he didn't, like, he didn't like comedy in his Star Trek. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, even though... Uh, Gene Kuhn was able to sort of weave this tapestry into these few episodes to make our characters more uh, open to uh, humorous situations right. and humorous reactions. Um, Roddenberry was very against it, and certainly when Fred Freiberger came in the third season, he shut it all down. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you have a case where, you know, David Gerald's pitching a sequel to Trouble with Tribbles, sure. and he says, you know, I didn't like Tribbles. Yeah. You know, I'm not interested in doing a sequel. And that's but there that. was there Star was Trek's not a comedy, even which is though, bold. Even though they didn't do, in the first season, the full episodes, there was still plenty of comedy within... That first season, there are still moments of comedy. There, yeah, there are. Yeah, there, there and, are certainly humorous moments. And, and yes. that, to me, also spoke to, uh, again, sort of the how well written it was that the, the writers were comfortable letting Spock make a joke. Right. Spock, you know, uh, you know. I remember in Devil of the Dark, there's the discussion of whether they should split up or stay together, mm-hmm. and Spock does the whole thing about the odds of them both, you know running into the creature and it's just a humorous moment in Absolutely. a dark in a dark scary episode sure and and you see that all the way through the sure. the series even season three i can't there are still moments of humor yeah in, and, in those um and, but less and, and good, good and writers less are of, able to give that sort right. of up and down and and yeah. interplay between good characters right well, what Star Trek also realizes you know if Star Trek is in fact which it is a family drama that comedy comes from dysfunctional family. I mean, right. it's the reason we have 9,000 TV shows about uh, sitcoms about families, you know, and, and Star Trek was, a, you know, families who argued and kvetched and had all mm-hmm. these issues. Because even in a show as tragic and as, as um, dramatic as City on the, on the Edge of Forever, you still had that very memorable scene where they talk to the cop about the right. Chinese exactly. rice picker right, and right. by his ears. And, right. And, and that, you know, and I think that speaks to... Um, that sort of speaks to a bunch of things. A bunch, how good an actor Nimoy is. You know, he plays it so straight, and that gives you this sort of place to go for for jokes and that interaction of him with the other characters. And 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 then you have this other thing, which you actually have the characters themselves making jokes. Like right. Kirk makes jokes. Like the it's not. It's not done deadpan. He's he's trying to be funny. Yeah. The character is trying to be funny, well, and he succeeds at it. Pretty much uh, Kirk's f- first lines, terrible having bad blood like right, that. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's from the, from the beginning. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, that, I don't know, there's, I, and it's not like comedy writers were, were, were writing the show. Although Stephen Kandel, who wrote the Mud, Mud episodes, was a comedy writer. Sure. Wrote a lot of, uh, I think, sitcoms and... Uh, back in the day, and uh, well, there's some very funny stuff in in Mud's Women uh, mm-hmm. with the Leah right. Walsh and and right. Roger Carmel's right. uh, campy yes, big, big performance, camp. right. and then I Mud is just a surrealistic wackadoodle comedy. Right. right. Yeah. Completely. Again, though, second season right before Tribbles, and with rewrites by uh, David Gerald. Yeah, and you can't give that's a good point. You can't give Gene Kuhn enough credit, you know, for what he brought to Star Trek. And we'll talk about that in another episode. Of course, he introduced the Klingons, the prime director of so right. much of what we know to be Star Trek. Right. But he also brought comedy to Star yeah. Trek. Ship's log. Mr. Spock reporting. Dr. McCoy and I are prisoners of the chief criminal boss of a society patterned after old Earth gangsters. Put your hands over your head. Or you ain't gonna have no head to put your hands over. Don't you, Kirk? You bet you do. But after I get through with you... I don't have those tools by then. I'm going to call up your ship and have them pick you up in a box. I kind of like this. I'm going to get one myself. 
Wait a moment. What have they done? What have they done to you? What have you done? Okay, Pally, we're going for a ride. You know, and, and I, I, look, I love Piece of the Action, and that was sort of Gene's parting gift, in right, a way, right. before, you know, Roddenberry came back and basically said, you know, what, what's all this what, what comedy? Are you, what are you doing here? Stop. Stop this right this moment. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, by the time you get to Bread and Circuses, which is sort of a Frankenstein beast between Coot and Roddenberry, oh, yeah. it has some great stuff in it. It has right. some awful stuff right. in it. But a lot of comedy in that, too. A like, lot of comedy. You, you bring this network's ratings down. Yeah. We'll do a special, special on you. you. Uh, <laughs> that episode only gets better with age. I would it say. does. It's it, you're yeah. You can't you, you can't really appreciate what's good about it, and you can ignore what's bad about it as you get older. But the the uh, um, well, for those of us who work in TV, I yeah, think it's particularly. It is. It's great. It's very. Uh, it's 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 very relevant. But um, what was it? Oh, I, what I love about Tribbles, and I talked to Gerald about this. Uh, we did a, a, a commentary on the Blu-ray release that was on the in the Roddenberry Vault. Right. Was the stakes of the Tribbles episode, if you think about it, are incredibly low. Like right. it, it's like, well, we gotta farm this planet, and we gotta farm it better than the Klingons. You know, and that, this, that's really low stakes. Like, like it's it's so bureaucratic. Yeah, uh, I gotta protect the grain because we're gonna take the grain to the planet. And we're gonna make you know, and you think about that in the context of Star Trek, where galactic. You know, uh, stakes or the stakes. Right. The last time we saw the Klingons, war was about to break uh, out. Right. Now it's between like, the fleets. And, yeah. And I think what's so great that in the world of Star Trek, I mean, Gerald made it work, and obviously Gene Kuhn made it work. Uh, made that that expands the world of Star Trek in this great way of the, the, there's bureaucracy, there's people. Uh, like Nils Barris, who are concerned about his own reputation as a diplomat. I want this success for my career. Sure. I mean, what, what, you know, and that, that's where comedy is in the, in the foibles of humans who, who uh, have sort of petty, uh, petty, a pettiness. Years and, before Stephen Miller was born, it was N- <laughs> William Nils Shallard. Barris. Is. Right. Nils but, Barris. But again, remember, it, it, Nils Barris is played completely straight. Completely straight. Mm-hmm. And he is absolutely serious. And, f- and from his point of view, he is correct. Right. He has every right to do everything that exactly he does. Right. right. And the, the comedy is that our characters are doing everything that they should be as well. Right. And the, that little grading against each other is where the comedy comes from. Right. And Kirk's decision to, uh, you know, sort of write him off and, and just slough off this this annoyance is where the comedy comes from and it's not at the expense of any of the characters right. it's completely uh, the clash of essential to the drama of the of the yeah. story. and again like comedy in best comedy kirk screws up i mean the fact that the tribbles end up getting into the grain and eating all the grain i mean he just got lucky Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because he he screwed up. They didn't. They he did not do enough to protect yeah. the grain. That was his job. The admiral says, "I need you to protect this grain." Right. And and he he doesn't. And that's always. Yeah, but you could have added comedy. more guards, you know. But it was already poisoned. By, it was already poisoned. So Kirk didn't screw up. I would argue. Well, well he screwed up in the sense that. The tribbles got into the grain. I mean, yes, they were yeah, poisoned. Okay. He got lucky that they'd been poisoned before the tribbles got, got in the grain. Lucky they were poisoned. That's, that's, I, okay, but sir. I'm just saying that, like, there's like people not doing their job competent, fully competently, is always a great source of comedy, and sure. and that's one of the other reasons. Like, the stakes are high personally for Kirk because he. I don't know that anybody's ever talked about triples as seriously before, but <laughs> and that's the death of comedy is to talk about comedy seriously. But I think that when you're trying to be funny, you want your character to, characters to screw up, and that's again like um, sort of a piece of the action similar. Like he makes a bunch of mistakes trusting these people, and sort of, and then he's got to sort of turn that around right. and act like them. But it also brings up the question: How would they have done it any differently? Well, yeah. I mean, I. Which one are we talking about? Well, either piece of the action or tribbles. Right. Uh, there, there, there may not have been any opportunity to do things. To do things right. No, that's true. Um, it, but and that's that's part of why there's a there's a difference in my mind at least from the way that these situations and characters were treated in the original show, and 
in how things happen to the characters in Star Trek IV. Okay. In that, <laughs> the none of the comedy is directed precisely at the uh, mistakes of our characters. None, none of it is be, is making fun of the characters in those original episodes. Okay. However, a lot of the laughs are at the expense of our characters in Trek IV. Mm-hmm. And they are the joke rather than the joke being the joke and them being in the middle of it, if that makes any sense. I, I mean, I, I see what you mean. I mean, I think that to me, I think, to me, I guess I, the way I look at Star Trek IV, aside from, the, from its enormous broad appeal. Sure. And the, aside from, is that even if you look at it seriously, the fact is these our characters get thrown into the situation where they really don't know enough, and yet somehow they manage to pull it off. They 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 get the whales. They bring them. They go back in time. Get the sure. whales. Bring them forward in time. They make the whale tank. They all those things where they're sort of screwing up along the way and sort of. Uh, figuring out that you still see this enormous competence. And that was always a great thing about Star Trek to me is like, these are enormously competent people. They're smart people. But but they wouldn't be wandering around uh, San Francisco (laughs) like idiots if they were competent. But they were wandering around they like kind of were. Darren has some strong (laughs) feelings about Star Trek 4. I I mean, I don't know. I I think that, I guess what I loved about it uh, was it was the first time the really the first time you saw those Star Trek characters in a re- completely real world. Like whenever we did, the, whenever they did time travel in the, we did, whenever they did time travel <laughs> in the 60s, you're not, re- you're seeing yeah, it was, sets. It, it was a, a, you're, a you're, fanciful You can make, you can make the buy, well, even always, when they go back to the 60s. It always felt like period because none of us were watching it in the 60s. That's a good point, so too. So we were always watching right. the 60s right. through the lens of like right. the mid-70s, but late you're 70s. you're out there, you're out on in San Francisco on the street, and these there's reality of these characters. And that, I guess, was more important to me than the fact that they were being made fun of. And, and again, you know, they... they Succeed in their mission. Sure, so, no, no, no. I, I understand your point, but I, I just wanted to clarify mine. He was really hoping Eddie Murphy would have done it. Then he would have liked that it. That, that would have been a train wreck. I, I can't even imagine. It's it, you know, is that <sighs> Superman three with Richard Pryor? That would have yeah. been. Yeah, that's Star what it would have been. It would have been. It could have been the end of the franchise. <laughs> but I, I, it's funny. I had the antith, uh, the the opposite reaction to Darren. I actually like the comedy parts of Star Trek Four. I like the screwball comedy, especially right. the scene in the truck. You know, the Italian. Italian, yeah, the yeah. best. I, I I love that stuff. I I don't like the bookends. I don't like the Harv Bennett bookends in the twenty third century, which I just think are so slow and attempting. You know, people say there are a lot of uh, endings to Return of the King. Star Trek Four has like nine endings. <laughs> it's like, oh, he gets promoted back, demoted back to captain. We, we demand we, the extradition of Kirk. <laughs> we demand justice. We get the ship we again. We get. You know, the, we guess we the, the 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 whale hunters go back to whale hunting probe goes back to wherever it came from. I mean, it's like, oh my god, would this movie just end already? I loved it. You did, and then I love not only that, I love the end credits because then you get to watch the whole movie again. Ah. Right. Right. <laughs> well, the bloopers, which I look exactly like the, the end credits. I, I have to say, time. you know, it's so funny that here we are, fifty years later, talking about. Trouble with Tribbles and comedy in Star Trek. Right. And you talk about something I've literally never thought of, the whole idea of the mundaneness of their mission. Sure. And, and, and uh, you know, that these still are a gift to us that we can still, you know, sort of plumb these things for meanings and things we haven't discussed. But what what's interesting to me about it is that's what space would really be like. It wouldn't be the war with the Klingons every week or, right. you know, things blinking out of existence right. or the Romulans are attacked. It'd be... Oh yeah. well, we're trying to farm this planet, and exactly. we're having problems with the crops. You no, know? I, I mean I think that to me that's again like one of the the subconscious things that goes on with us when we watch Star Trek as fan as the super fans that we are is is the the writers and creators create the world beyond the plot of the individual episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Federation exists in your mind. You you feel it's a, this writer. Michael Chabon wrote a great essay called uh, on Sherlock Holmes, and it talks about how Sherlockians or the the big Sherlock Holmes fans are the first sort of modern fandom, right. uh, where they're trying to fill in the blanks between the stories, and that's what we do when we watch Star Trek is like filling in the blanks. But the writers of Star Trek started that they they you know they kept a consistency about 
Federation and the consistency about it so that you could do an episode that was comedic and it didn't break the reality of the show. Uh, you could make these characters be funny, have a situation that was funny, and then the next week go right back to the drama. Sure. And it was because the writers took such care in creating that world. The world yeah. existed, and there's comedy in the world. And right. So, you know. And by the way, as a total aside, that's why I actually am optimistic about the Picard show. The fact that Michael Chabon is is uh, you know on the writing staff of uh, oh, I forgot about that. You know, yeah. which is you know really cool. But if you read what he's read about Sherlock Holmes and yeah. everything, it's like he has completely the correct understanding right. yeah. so whether or not that vision makes it into the show remains to now be the seen fact that the show takes place in a holodeck and uh, and <laughs> captain picard is sherlock holmes now uh, <laughs> has no bearing on anything <laughs> it wouldn't <laughs> data that data is sherlock yeah, holmes exactly. Not picard, exactly right? no we're uh, just throwing that out uh, so um <laughs> but yeah so i i want to say you know, we talked about how well and what a facility the original Star Trek had for comedy. You know, and it could do a comedy episode and then do something very serious the next week. You could go from piece of the action, you know, to something very dramatic. Um, and even episodes which weren't, quote unquote, the comedy episodes also integrated, um, you know, certainly the, these light ca- character comedy moments very, very well. Um, that was not the case so much with subsequent shows. You could argue that Deep Space Nine occasionally pulled it off with stuff like Our Man Bashir, which was their mm-hmm. Bond parody. Mm-hmm. Um, more often than not, it was sort of the Frangie shows, which I think were some of the weakest of, of, of right. that show. Right. Why, why, why do you think? And certainly Next Generation never really attempted a straight-up comedy. I mean, you had things that dabbled, like Fistful of Datas, but it never yeah, really... And so, well, some of the Q episodes sort of delved into that aspect. Yeah, there's that thing at the end of... Uh... What's the uh, Deja Q, where he gets his powers back? Oh, the mariachi band. The mariachi band. Mm-hmm. He puts cigars in their mouth. Yeah. That that's a funny. That's a very funny yeah. scene. And then making Data laugh is yeah. really funny. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. It, they didn't. Uh, actually, I was hired on Enterprise specifically because they wanted the show to be lighter and have some comedy. We ended up never doing it. <laughs> Uh, or not, I not remember it being a laugh riot. Not intentionally, anyway. <laughs> uh, certainly, my first episode, uh, "Precious Cargo," which I've never seen with Padma Lakshmi, ma- ma- with Padma Lakshmi, which you've never be. seen. I've never seen it. Wow. Uh, well, you know, why well, I always say this line, which is the, the 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 piece of shit that I wrote was not the piece of shit they shot. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so they. Uh, uh, but you know that there's um. I I mean I don't I actually don't know I think it's it's all about who the writers are it's all about who the showrunners are I mean when you know Brandon Braga and Rick Berman when I worked for them on on Enterprise I mean they were doing Star Trek the way they did Star Trek and there wasn't uh, the idea of I think that they they didn't have a confidence to to make it actual comedy uh, again there were light moments in. Uh, enterprise but it wasn't it wasn't uh you you didn't have the big comedy moments and and again i wasn't on next generation you did all that interviewing of all those writers and showrunners what's your what's your theory i think uh i could i <laughs> there were no jews on the staff that was the first problem no <laughs> but uh, i think that uh, <laughs> that's like that could be a big you know problem. but i th- i think that there was you know there was that f- a philosophy that uh, that right. uh, Star Trek's not a comedy that you were somehow making fun of it yeah. and that there was a fine line right. uh between you know Star Trek feeling silly yeah. or or campy right. and yet that was their opinion of the original show and right. so they felt like comedy was part of that part and parcel of that I I kind of feel whereas Ira Bear is like this quirky weird yes. in the best way and a Jew and, and a Jew so he <laughs> was much more inclined to do you know comedy yeah. and I think that you know Deep Space 9 Again, had great comedy moments with the cast on the ensemble, yeah. but there was never really a slam dunk comedy episode. No. Um, you know, the Bond parody is as close as I think, but even that wasn't a comedy as much as it was sort of a, a Bond homage. Well, it's interesting too watching Trials and Tribulations, which is pr- production wise the most amazing sh- episode done on, on, a, on you know on that budget to do that. But the comedy moments that happen. With the Deep Space Nine character sort of pale in comparison to the comedy moments between the original cast, yeah, yeah, and yeah, so. and that that's uh, that shows you something as well. I do think too, uh, 
Although Terry Farrell was pretty funny, the whole thing about McCoy and you know, and she made the allusion to uh, he had the, the the hands of a doctor, and uh, you know, alluding that she had had an affair with yes. Doctor McCoy and a previous host. But she then went on to do a sitcom and do Becker. She yeah. she seemed to be the one person, and and she has that kind of vibrant bubbly kind of personality that lent itself to mm-hmm. comedy whereas you know seeing Avery do comedy I don't see yeah, that no. look Avery Brooks was hilarious <laughs> in something there's that we of, haven't seen yet there's obviously. a lot of unintentional comedy in Star Trek too. <laughs> <laughs> this is I'm playing with my communicator here. Um, <laughs> I just got a, a, a message pop up uh, on my uh, the t- t- reminder: Star Trek and glorious, uh, and glorious yeah. experts uh, taping today. T- really? So <laughs> I'm glad that here I am. Yeah, we'll we better get there. Start start recording a podcast. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, and it seemed like certainly with Enterprise, you mentioned that it yeah. was something that wasn't embraced. Why do you think that they weren't doing more comedy, particularly when they said they wanted to do more comedy? I, you know, comedy is scary. Uh, it's if you haven't, and I, none of them, none of those showrunners had experience writing and producing comedy. And there is, it's scary to be try to be funny uh, if you haven't done it. Uh, and there, there's so much more at risk, uh, humiliation wise. If you try to be funny and fail, right? Uh, whereas if you try to be dramatic, the worst, the, the most people are going to say is, "Well, that was a little dull." They're not going to say that was the most worst drama. Right. But you try to be funny, you try to make a joke, right. and it's not funny. People are like, "Oh my god, that's terrible!" Did you see that? And and so there's much more. There's a the higher humiliation factor in the failure of being funny, mm. and that would be my guess. I I never had the conversation with them, but. If you're, and that's again why Orville. I mean, what Seth is uh, a master of comedy. There's no, he he understands humor in a way. So when he he understands this sort of tonal experiment that he did in the first season, was he had a confidence of what comedy was about how to make the audience laugh, and he had half of his staff were comedy writers or had done comedy, and so it's really just from the experience of having done it uh, that you know. That, that you're willing to take a chance because you know 50 to 70% of the time you will make the audience laugh. Maybe that 50 to 30% you might not, and hopefully uh, they don't remember those times and you, you rem- they remember the laughs. But if you've never done it, comedy is a very scary thing. Well, I have to say, I mean, I found the first season of Orville absolutely delightful and charming and a wonderful homage to Next Generation. It was sort of like getting Next Generation back in a way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what do you think you learned from that first season that you sort of applied to second season in terms of, you know, sort of doing a postmortem and the response and, you know, where you want to... I mean, I think that it it it, it was a success. The, the tonal experiment was a success that uh, you could you could... And again, like Tribbles... You could say you could create a world where you have these stakes, uh, galactic stakes, but then there's, as, as Aaron was saying, the conflict between the characters can be funny. And we did that almost every week, that there were little problems, little human problems between these characters that we played uh, lightly, that we played for laughs right. within the context of Krill. I mean, the Krill episode, which I wrote, which was Ed and Gordon in disguise on the yeah. Krill ship. I mean, it's Hope and Crosby. I mean, it's right. like, you know, the, that the, everybody's on the Krill ship is completely dead serious, dangerous, and then you have uh, Scott, Grimes, and Seth d- doing bits back and forth, you know, like, uh, you know, don't walk so close to me, you know, <laughs> is like a Hope and Crosby bit. Anyway, you know, so that, that you learn that trust that, that the audience makes that buy, that they'll go with you on that. But then also start to expand the world. In season two, I can't give anything away, but, you know, we've got some big stuff. It and takes place in space. It takes place in space. Uh, it takes place in space. There's a ship. No, but it's a, uh, there's there's just some big stuff that's great, and it's an expansion of the world of the Orville. And then and then next, uh, next summer, uh, we release the... Uh, uh, Dark Horse is gonna is we're doing a comic book. Oh, that's great! Which I'm writing, which is a is a great sort of another expansion. Are you writing the autobiography of Ed Mercer as well? <laughs> <laughs> Just to keep uh, give us a few years. The autobiography us- of Commander Koenig. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I have you know I have to ask you because you know you talk about that episode where they go to the krill ship, which is a terrific and fun episode, and it reminds me a lot of the Next Generation episode, Face of the Enemy, where Troy sort right. of has to go undercover. Yeah. And, but that is sort of, and I like that episode, but there's no comedy in that. No. There's no, no you know culture it's class. Really, no, it, it's it, really morose. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, you know, and and, and it's it's sort of interesting. Do you look back at stuff like that, or even going back to the second season of the original show of of Next Gen that was a matter of honor where. Uh, Picard, Picard, Riker is in a uh, f- has to go aboard the Klingon ship right. as part of an exchange program, and Tony Todd is now on the on the Enterprise. I mean, do you do you sort of look at these touchdowns because you are playing with the expectation that the audience has seen Star Trek, that they know the tropes, they know the cliches, and and you're having a little bit of fun with that. Star on. tropes. Well, I think that Star it, tropes. It, yeah, it's interesting because I don't, we 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 actually don't assume the audience has seen Star mm. Trek. Uh, and our demographics sort of bear that out that they're you know that we're getting people who are not Star Trek fans watching the show again. Seth's goal in making the show was was the same goal Roddenberry had, which was I'm not doing a show for some small group of fans. I want America to watch this thing. Right. I want and now in the current age, I want the world to watch this yeah. thing. <laughs> and so, no, in fact, we make no assumption that. Uh, Star Trek fans have watched it. We make the assumption that the audience understands people working on a ship. Like that, that's the only sort of uh, assumption we make, which is like people get sort of the the soft military feel of the show. They're in uniforms, there's a little bit of military. We're on a ship. Uh, there's You're out in space, and the audience is making that buy, but they're making that buy based on now you know, five decades of Star Trek, Star Wars, you know, and then all the other things that have have used that as a as a premise. Uh, and so, you know, we 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 talk a lot about Star Trek uh, or have Seth and I have been working together uh, for a long time. And in my job interview with him. Star Trek came up, and I think that was probably the tipping point for me getting the job. It was between me and one other guy. And. And, the and, fact that I was a giant Star Trek fan, I think, was probably my. The other guy point. was a Space 1999 <laughs> fan, and that just killed it for him. <laughs> a good show, a really good show. <laughs> I have tried to watch that show. Boy, are you guys going to do a podcast about? No, no, no. We actually <laughs> joked. We said, yeah, you know, we're going to do a Class of 1999 podcast coming soon. It's like, no, we're never. No. <laughs> I mean, who would listen to it? I, I, it's such a bad show. <laughs> I mean, oh, we'd man. have to actually watch the shows to talk about it. So that would be. It's hard. They're hard to watch. I've tried. I keep trying. You know, it came at a certain time in history. And that time is is gone. Talk about a show that had no comedy. None. Yeah, that's true. It was very, very dour. But, you know, the thing about that show that worked was the production design. Obviously, the ships. I mean, because the Eagle is still one of the great ship designs ever. You know, know, it was so interesting (laughs) to me about Space 1999, and then we'll get off it, is is that Jerry Anderson, you know, produced all the supermarination things, the puppets with the giant heads. And then he cast Space 1999. His two leads have giant heads. Right. <laughs> uh, Barbara Bain and, and Martin Landau. They have giant heads. They look like Super Marionation puppets. It's almost like Jerry Anderson can't see anything else. Look, like... <laughs> the, the strange thing is that the, that the show that came in between Super Marionation and Space 1999, UFO, all the actors do look like puppets. They do, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. They look exactly and like puppets. And the performances yeah. are just well, the as wooden. Well, the were, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, anyway. No, no, it's, it's, it's really... Uh... So yeah, the short answer is no. We're not doing a Space 1999 podcast anymore. I think we just did. Think we just uh, did. <laughs> you know what? Up. Forget comedy. Let's talk about Space 1999. There, you know, there are a few good episodes. I mean, Bringers right. of Wonder, I really like. All right, uh, get off. Okay, okay. But you That's know, enough. the one thing we didn't talk about it because it sort of synthesizes everything we love about Star Trek and about comedy and uh, is Galaxy Quest. In the far reaches of the galaxy. A civilization is under siege. We are all that is left. They've searched the universe for a leader. Stay tuned for scenes from next week's Galaxy Quest. Never give up. Never surrender. He will save us. What they got. Never give up. And never surrender. We're struggling TV actors. You are our last hope. Where's my limo? 
Okie dokie. And they're about to put on a command performance. Eight million light years away. We are actors, not astronauts. You are our protectors. That was a hell of a thing. Now, Laredo, take us out. You gotta move to the right. Would you sit your ass down? You wanna drive this to... Acting like heroes. The whole thing was just a misunderstanding. May not be enough. They look like little children. Hi, little guy. Oh, darn. DreamWorks Pictures presents Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, Galaxy Quest. You're just gonna have to kill him. We'll go for the mouth, the throw, his vulnerable spots. It's a rocket, that not any vulnerable spots. I mean, that, yeah. that sort of wraps Galaxy up. Quest, what's that? It's all of, you know, <laughs> Star Trek comedy in one big package, like to pow. What, you know, what was your feeling about, uh, about Galaxy Quest? Uh, you know, I, I, I had heard the story that, uh, that Harold Ramis was going to direct Galaxy right. Quest, but he didn't want Tim Allen and that that's why he left. And I just, as much as I like Galaxy Quest, I want to see the Harold Ramis version. Mm. Like, I don't know what Harold Ramis yeah. does. Maybe he doesn't do anything differently. Right. But I, I was such a fan of his comedic work. Again, uh, Dean Parasite did a great job and, and it creates a great world and it taps into, Star Trek fandom, and I, I do, and I also wrote two years before Galaxy Quest came out. I wrote a movie, right. TV movie called The Adventures of Captain Zoom right. in Outer Space with my old writing partner Rick Cop. That was produced by uh, Brian Levant, and it's the same premise. Yeah, and yeah, I like yeah. mine better. And you have Nichelle Nichols in yours. We have Nichelle Nichols in ours, and uh, it's the exact same premise as Galaxy Quest. Um, and uh, so when Galaxy Quest came out, I enjoyed it. And again, the production value is amazing. I love that ship. Uh, I love the aliens. I, I, the, to me, the great, this, the great moment in that movie that I just love is when um, the bad guy, and I forgot the character's name, the lizard bad Saris. guy. Sarah, thank you. Is shown the historical, uh, shown the historical record. And shown these, these TV shows that the aliens have thought were real and he gets it. Yeah. He understands right away, oh, this is a TV show. Yeah, right. Oh, this is bad. This is fake. And these idiots have fallen for it. <laughs> that, I get, I love that moment so much. Yeah. That to me was, that That makes the whole movie work for me in just such a great way because it shows how smart he is. Right. And that, and, and there's great moments like that. I mean, Sigourney Weaver's great in it. Uh, uh, Alan Rickman, amazing. Although I don't understand why he's wearing the makeup at home. <laughs> right. Like I don't. In case get you forgot that. that he plays an alien, I I completely. Agree. I I don't get that. I don't that that was a really tough. Well, vibe that's for just me. because you never hung out with Leonard when he wore his ears at home. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 was my toughest buy in that movie. It's like this guy would not be wearing the makeup any minute that he didn't have to. <laughs> and that, I mean anyway. But otherwise, you know, great. So the movie has lost complete credibility with you. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You watch things and something takes you out of it. It's like, why is that guy still wearing his makeup? He I wouldn't. buy the aliens coming and abducting the cast of a, hey, well, that's a, a the canceled TV you. show. Yeah. But the, uh, the, the ears <laughs> and the face, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, and it's so funny you mentioned Captain Zoom because, of course, yeah, it is the same. Yeah, exact. Which is a movie that no one has now, can see even. I think there's 15 minutes of it on YouTube, but... Uh, uh, it was a fun movie. Ron Perlman's in it, and uh, this actor Dan Reardon plays this actor Ty Farrell, who plays a character like Captain Video called Captain Zoom, and he gets beamed to the other side of the galaxy. Les Vassies, and it's a it's a great cast, and uh, nobody saw it. <laughs> we was actually a pilot for TV, so we wrote six scripts. You know, they picked they looked like they were going to pick it up, and they commissioned six scripts, and would have been this insane television series. I mean, that's got to be heartbreaking. I mean, you put your heart and soul in something you're super passionate about, and then it doesn't Well, that's help. the business word. Mark. That is the business <laughs> I Look, I, I know and I you agree. Know. <laughs> you know. It's, it's the business we've of all, letdown. So. We've all been there. But, you know, this is something that's so close to home. And I guess it was like that for you, you know, working on Star Trek, because here you are working on a Star Trek series, you know, which 
was something you, you probably wanted to do since you were a kid reading the making yeah. of Star Trek. You know, what was that like for you? And, and where do you think Enterprise sort of belongs in canon when you look back at it now with hindsight? Mm-hmm. You know, do you think it succeeded more than it failed? I mean, what, what's your takeaway from all that? Well, for, I, my first book was The History of the Federation, the Federation of the First 150 Years, and I had to write what was the Enterprise chapter. And so I went, uh, Darren is now picking up the Enterprise here. From Eagle Moss, available uh, Eagle, now. Eagle Moss. Um, I hope we can get Eagle Moss to do Orville ships. Wouldn't that be cool? That, you should. Um, you know what? We but, should talk about that because yeah. they're they're great. Uh, but um, the uh, uh, I had to watch this. What I liked about Enterprise was, as a Star Trek fan, and I'm writing that chapter uh, for, in the book, was okay. It all fits together. It's it, it all you can in your mind as a fan make this work as a prequel to the original series. I think um, where it's sort of, I think, I don't know. I think that there's a bunch of reasons it, 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 some of it didn't work for me. Um, But again, it's, it's, uh, I think that Rick and Brandon uh, maybe were like done. Like there's a way in which they'd been doing Star Trek for so long that it, maybe it was time for somebody else to do it. Just, just, but and yet they had such a level of competence. And I think Brandon is a super talented writer that uh, he still brought a lot to it. But I do think there was a way in which we were redoing uh, old stories that had been done on other series, and right. that to me was not a good a good thing to be doing. That well, was not I, a good. If you have Star Trek, you should be doing new stories. Uh, and that was my frustration to some extent with. Uh, Star Trek Discovery was they amazing cast, amazing production value, amazing writers. The writing is really good, but why are you setting it ten years before? Why are you putting it in this, um, conf- confining it in such a way that you're you're confined by canon? It's like do something new, and I get that's me. That's what I always want as a Star Trek fan, and that's what I wanted. The problem for me with Enterprise was in the pilot. There's a line that says, uh, "Well, 50 years we cured hunger and and war and whatever." And I'm like, "That's the show I want to see. How do you mm-hmm. do that? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. an interesting Star Trek show. What right. would that 50 years?" And as soon as Trip says that line in the pilot, you realize, "Oh, this is just going to be another Star Trek show." And it's like, "I've seen this already. Right. So give me something new." And I'm always, as a Star Trek fan, I'm always I want something new. And and again, like I look at Discovery and I. There's a lot of great new stuff in it, but I'm like, I don't like where it's confined time-wise because it's confined by canon that I'm super familiar with, right. and I want I want new. I want so. Yeah, I was always struck by you know, and Rick used to say this a lot that you know, how can you really go forward because you know you can't really take technology past where it is in the 24th. And I never bought into that. You know, I kind of feel Star Trek is about boldly going and about the future, and it's about more, more the Enterprise, and everybody's going through, you know, sort of contortions not to be about the future, not to be about the Enterprise. And, you know, prequels very rarely work, um, and it's a challenge. Yeah. And it doesn't mean they can't, right. but uh, it just seems, the you know, this idea to not embrace... Yeah, and Star Wars is wrestling with this whole thing now too, with the Star Wars stories. And you know, now yeah. they just had their first, at least maybe not artistic, but financial failure. Again, going back and mining that well rather right. than pushing the franchise forward. I, I agree. And again, it's interesting that people said that about technology because again, you look at Discovery, which is just a beautiful looking show, and the technology they're using is off of our technology. So it's like, why wouldn't you just set it? I'm. I, I should stop talking about Discovery. But anyway, I'm saying it's like that. You can't go forward. You can always go forward. That was the thing when Ronberry did Next Generation. I remember thinking, how are they going to, 80 years later, how is that going to work? And it worked. Yeah, it worked. We're actually going to have an entire uh, show devoted to uh, Discovery uh, spinoff show of Inglorious oh. Trekspers. We're going to be announcing soon called Disco Nights with two hosts who love Discovery, who we'll be announcing, who are very familiar to Star oh, Trek good. fans, and they'll be dealing with Discovery. It from sounds a, like a joke, but it is. From a, <laughs> <laughs> no, and they'll be dis- dealing with Discovery from a very different perspective right. than I think that you know some of the people on right. this panel would. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but uh, you know, what's interesting too, I think, about Orville is that there are so many. Um, people 
you know, from Star Trek that right. are over there, yeah. whether it be Brandon, who you yeah. talked about, you know, who is also doing Cosmos and doing yeah. a wonderful job with that. Amazing. And then Andre and, Andre and Joe, yeah. Joe, Joe Banowski. Yeah, Joe you know, Banowski. how's that? It's sort of like the uh, Star Trek reunion writer's room. This is Janice Lee, one of our most brilliant young physicists. Hello. Hi. Janice has been experimenting with temporal fields and has made, well, a breakthrough would be an understatement. So, it's an anti-banana ray. It's really interesting. We need no longer fear the banana. Does it work on all fruit? What about salads? Do you understand what happened to this banana? It's rotten because a month has passed. Since we got here, yeah, that's what it feels like. Captain Mercer, this banana is suspended in a quantum bubble that can be adjusted to accelerate time. Out here, only a few moments have passed. Inside the bubble, it's a month in the future. Does it work in both directions? Like, could somebody use it to go backward in time and tell their younger self not to make a terrible life decision? Hey, will you go to rest for, like, five minutes? No, no I didn't mean that... Oh, I need you meant. No, no, I just meant, like, tell yourself not to break your leg in that fall or don't eat too many carbs or, or, or don't get married, but is that how it works? No, the field can only... Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I think that you want people who have a facility with this kind of show uh, because, again, we break Orville like a drama. It's not broken like a comedy. We, we, The stories that we're doing start with what what are the dramatic elements of it. And um, uh, so to ha- you want you want experienced hands to know how to do that. And and you you don't want to be going over old territory. You want you want to boldly go forward, <laughs> like like and and so working with those guys is great. And they're all. I mean, I didn't. I never worked with Joe before, who's terrific and uh, terrific writer. And uh, but Brandon and Andre and I worked together in Enterprise and our old friends. And yeah, it's it's, it's strange. I I I enjoy Orville, but I enjoyed the the more serious episodes. Mm-hmm. Even more right. than than the more you know comedy based right. ones, because I, I think that when when you guys are in that sort of yeah. groove, the whole show kind of works better. It's interesting. Well, I mean, we've got the mix, same mix that we had last year, and you know we've got some straight comedy, and then mm-hmm. we've got some really serious ones. But I think that the, you know, again, it's for everybody. So yeah. there are people who love the comedy. Sure. Comedy episodes, and hopefully the comedy episodes don't put you off such that you don't no. stay for the no, no, no. dramatic and ones. And this, we also always try to have some bit of drama, uh, even in, in yeah, absolutely. Ones. And the but, second season of Oral premieres on Fox in December, December thirtieth, December December thirtieth. That's a weird. Premier so you're, you're going to have to wait for your Christmas <laughs> gift a little late this year. Um, and, of course, you also have the autobiography of James T. Kirk and autobiography of, uh, I was going to say Patrick Stewart, of Jean-Luc Picard. And, uh, and, and, uh, Spock, and Spock is going to be, be out, out next end of next year. So Fantastic. Wow, you, boy, you keep but... churning these things on Star Trek Federation, the first yeah, 150, 150 years. years. Still available on Amazon, yeah. You yeah. are quite prolific. I, uh, you know, it, it was such a gift that, CBS Consumer Products asked if I would want to write that first book, and uh, to get to do this as a fan, I mean, to, you know, I, I had never written a book before, and I'm like, "You sure you want me to do this? I've never written." A book <laughs> and, uh, and I'm just so thrilled to get to do that, and and to hear people get mad because, well, this doesn't track with. Uh, the Star Trek novels, and you, you know, and I, but that. I have my own sort of Goodman verse. You know, it's the, <laughs> the Goodman universe because these three books, these three autobiographies, do fit into the history I wrote in the Federation. And then there are little prizes, little gifts for people who've read all three books that connect all three yeah. books. There's scenes in the Spock book that are scenes that are in the Picard book and the Kirk book, but but from Spock's point of view, as opposed to those other characters, you get to see stuff that uh, I think people, again, anybody who read the books would enjoy. But. See, there's the prime timeline, the Kelvin timeline, right. and the Goodman timeline. <laughs> the Goodman. I'd like to live in the Goodman. I timeline. want to see what the you mirror, do live in the Goodman. I want to see what the mirror Goodman timeline is. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> uh, I gotta get. I gotta go back and get Doctor Min and uh, 
Spock. Well, be, be, before we go, I got to ask you, you know, in the history of Star Trek, is, what's your favorite comedy moment in, in all of Star Trek? It's what you mentioned. It's the, mo- it's the, it's the, um, do you like Italian? Yes, no, yes, no, yes. And here's why I love that moment. That moment is, um, it's in Star Trek Four. I'm sorry, Darren. Uh, it's it's <laughs> it's, right. it's it's a moment that is sort of relying on the audience. It's relying on the audience's knowledge of these characters and these two actors' comfort in it that they do this bit that could not have been written. Uh, that had to be at least partially ad lib the way they're doing it. There's no there's no way you write that in a script. Mm-hmm. And and what I loved about it was that's Kirk and Spock. Doing that, that see, <laughs> I'm going to say that we're watching Shatner and Nimoy, but uh, you don't feel that way about Star Trek Five and the campfire scene. I don't. <laughs> I don't look. J- just for a little, for a little, uh, you know, uh, balanced programming. My favorite humorous moment is in Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Believe it or not, would you please sit down? Okay, I yeah. find that very funny. Yeah, and that's okay. It's just me, but I, I think. I don't. I didn't. I. I don't know that I laughed out loud when I saw that moment, but mm. I know I laughed out loud at yes, no, yes, no, yes. Oh, see, I thought you were going to say, and I know you laughed at. Won't you please sit down in free enterprise? And then that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, to me, I guess what I loved about them, and I certainly know what you're saying that you think it's Shatner anymore. For me, as an audience member, I wasn't. I was watching Kirk and Spock do that moment, and it worked, and 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 I got to enjoy this sort of super real moment between these two guys who are confused what's she asking us sure. and and we, we don't want to do the wrong answer and that to me was really funny um and i think there were a, a bunch of moments like that uh in star trek 4 that i liked but that that's my my favorite and then you know there's i mean uh, there's an unintentionally funny moment i think in trials and tribulations that i just i howled at uh, because, and it's just a complete nerd moment, which is the last scene uh, where Cisco goes to introduce himself to to Kirk. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is actually uh, the end of Mirror Mirror, right? And it's Marlene Moreau. And in that scene, her <laughs> is looking at Marlene Moreau with, right. "Oh my God, it's her." And now she's looking at Cisco, yeah. like, and it's there's something else going on there. <laughs> yeah, it's like, how come I've never seen See, that? Yeah. And, and that I just howled at it, like, oh my god, like they so surprised me, and that that I just love that moment, and that that's not a moment that anybody's playing the comedy of it. Right, that's just like a geek moment. Yeah, uh, that's so. funny. I'd have to say uh, it's that scene, a piece of the action, where Kirk's attempting to drive the uh, the, the car, car and, and you know Spock says. You know, Please. you're an excellent Starship commander, but as a taxi <laughs> yeah. driver, that's funny. I, 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 I love that. But yeah. look, David, it's been so great having you on the show. I hope you'll join us again whenever you want. Give me. Um, it doesn't have to be about comedy. I love all these other. No, no, I, 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 I know. <laughs> I, it seemed like this was an auspicious beginning talking about comedy. And it was also yeah. a way to. Did talk we even about talk about comedy? I guess we did a little. Sure, bit. we did, <laughs> and it was yeah. very funny. Yeah. We all laughed. Comedy is hard. <laughs> talking about comedy is hard, but yeah. talking about Star Trek is easy. Um, <laughs> It's two hours. Are you ready? (laughs) It only felt like two hours. This is the best moment as a parent. I'm sorry, we got to go. I got to go. You have to go. We're going to stay. (laughs) As a parent, my my son uh, uh, was is. I made him sort of watch Star Trek. He he never became a, a giant fan, but he'd watch it with me. And there was one. He was around. I remember watching. I remember watching uh, Rathacon in the theater, and I was um, so eighty two. I was in college, and eighty one, eighty one, eighty two, eighty two, eighty two. So I was in college, and and still that moment of that Darren just did. It's Kirk. It's it's Kirk. Two hours. You ready? Mm-hmm. It's still like this great like moment of what the first time mm-hmm. you see it. Sure. And so then I watched uh, one one day. I'm like, all right, Jacob, we're watching, we're watching Star Trek today. You're gonna watch. Uh, uh, the con episode, Space Seed, and then we're going to watch the movie. And uh, he was game for it, and we watched it. He was around 12 or 13. And we're watching it, and we're watching it, sort of sitting there silently, and I'm enjoying it, and then we get to that moment. And I've now seen Wrath of Khan 500 times. I mean, it's not even, I can't even count the number of times I've watched yeah. that movie. So yeah. nothing surprised me about it, nothing. And we get to that moment, the first time he's seeing it, Kirk, it's two hours, are you ready? And my son goes, what? 
That's <laughs> like, awesome. And it was like, I got to relive that moment. I'd forgotten that yeah, moment. I'd yeah. forgotten that How I was great surprised by that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, that, you know, uh, anyway. So it's a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing. Thank you guys for having me. No, thanks, thanks David. And good luck with the new season. Thank and uh, can't wait to read about Spock and finding out who, how you work uh, an Altman into the uh, Spock <laughs> uh, timeline. Well, I in, don't have any relatives on Vulcan. He's, I, uh, well, he's in Picard. So read. I, I'm, I'm going to go home and read it right now. He's not in Spock. I just want to say that now. Although Sorry. Spock's first name is spelled Altman. <laughs> I, just I can't Altman. pronounce it. Altman. Yeah. Why you would have so much trouble pronouncing that? I just... Well, Vulcan tongue. on behalf of Darren and myself and David Goodman, thanks for listening today. You can uh, follow us on Twitter at Inglorious Trek or on Instagram at Inglorious Trexperts. Um, our new podcast, Disco Nights, uh, we'll be announcing the host soon. Uh, we'll be premiering on the Electric Surge Podcast Network. And uh, finally, a very special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here at Electric Surge for making this show possible. Until next week. On behalf of all of us, saying in every revolution, there is one man or woman with a vision. May your ways be as pleasant. Shh. Engage. <laughs>